Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello and welcome to LawPod. I'm Dr. Rachel Colleen and I'm your host on this episode. Today we are exploring the concept of human dignity. Since its inclusion in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1949, human dignity has become a foundational human rights concept. We can find it in international human rights documents, in judicial reasoning in multiple jurisdictions, and increasingly in the context of sustainable development programs being implemented all around the world. While we might associate dignity with notions of social status or perhaps our understandings of dignified behaviour, what human dignity offers is an understanding of the intrinsic value of human beings. As such, it's sometimes claimed that human dignity can be understood as universal in both its scope and its meaning. However, what human dignity means in practice is by no means so obvious. And in fact, understandings of what human dignity requires are often quite widely varied and contested. We have to also be cautious about assuming that human dignity means the same thing in different social, legal and cultural contexts. To the contrary, it seems that what human dignity is and what it requires might actually be understood in profoundly different ways in different settings. So over the past year, myself and some colleagues have been digging into these complexities So through a collaboration with Queen's and the Centre for the Study of Humanitarian Law in Phnom Penh, we've been conducting research into how human dignity is used, particularly in Cambodian law, policy and advocacy. And over the coming months, we'll be analysing how it has been understood by Cambodians from diverse backgrounds and disciplines. So what we're trying to do here is explore whether human dignity resonates or conflicts or enhances other framings of dignity and indeed other human rights values in Cambodia. So in this podcast, I chat with two of my collaborators on the project about some of the challenges in defining human dignity and what we have learned so far. My first guest today is my colleague and project collaborator, Chris McCrudden. Chris is Professor of Human Rights and Equality here at Queen's School of Law, the William W. Cook Global Law Professor at the University of Michigan, and a practicing barrister at Blackstone's Chambers in London. Chris has a long-standing research interest in human rights law and has a particular interest in the foundational principles that underpin human rights law and practice. Chris is a leading expert in theorization of human dignity. He's an author of several publications exploring the concepts, meanings, and uses, and is the editor of a multidisciplinary edited collection, Understanding Human Dignity. As such, he's the perfect person to help us begin our exploration into this slippery concept. So, Chris, uh, a very warm welcome to LawPod. Nice to have you with us. Thanks, Rachel. It's nice to be here. So, you have been researching the diverse meanings attributed to human dignity for over a decade now. What was it about human dignity that first sparked your interest? Uh, Thanks for the reminder that I've been doing it for over um, a decade. Um, So, uh, the, the original interest was sparked because... I've been teaching a a course on comparative human rights for very many years. Um, First of all at Oxford, then at Michigan, and and now also at at Queen's. And uh, that involves looking at uh, quite a lot of judgments of courts throughout um, throughout the world on how they interpret uh, particular types of human rights. And one of the things that struck me, uh, I suppose, around the early 2000s, was that there was increasingly a use of this word dignity, and and I'd never really thought about dignity, uh, or indeed human dignity before, to my shame. So um, I got intrigued by this because the court seemed to be using it in a way which was sometimes rhetorical, sometimes substantive, um, but often pretty ill-defined. But but at the same time, it, it seemed to be important in some way. Uh, so, uh, so I started looking into it, and that was really the start. And um, it seems that several other people uh, sort of cottoned on to the growing importance of dignity around about the same time. There was something, something in the in the zeitgeist almost uh, that seemed to lead to um, people focusing on it, whether it be from religions um, or from philosophy or from sociology. There seemed to be a, a coming together 
of of interest in in the concept and I've sort of taken it from there though concentrating mostly on the legal side. And why do you think there was this growth in interest and why do you think discussions about human dignity have grown almost exponentially in in recent years? It's a puzzle Um, uh, and I'm not sure anybody has really come up with a particularly good explanation. I mean, there, there, there are some things I think that can be said. Um, one is that, at least in the legal setting, um, there's been increasing concern about what are the foundational principles that human rights are based on. Um, and there was, for a long time, uh, what, I'd, what I think of as a sort of honeymoon period where uh, everybody thought human rights was a good idea and, um, you know, what's not to love. And then increasingly there's been a growth in human rights scepticism. And that's meant that, uh, you know, those of us who uh, broadly support uh, human rights um, need to be somewhat more articulate in terms of providing the fundamental premises on which we think it's based. Um, And if human dignity is one of those premises, then it's not surprising that people have sort of dusted human dignity off um, and tried to examine it somewhat more thoroughly. Um, I think there's a sort of second reason which is also connected to its increasing, the increasing sort of judicialization of human rights, um, particularly at the domestic level. And that is that um, these human rights that we're often dealing with are often quite uh, vaguely described uh, and so they need to be interpreted and quite often courts uh, try to understand where they should go in the interpretation of these of these rights by examining the premises and the foundations on which they're based so human human dignity then becomes not just uh, something to be dusted off uh, to deal with human rights skeptics but also as something to be considered fairly thoroughly and forensically in the interpretation of of, of uh, specific human rights. So I, I think those are two explanations for why it's become more important in the judicial context. That doesn't fully account for why it's um, sort of taken off in, in other spheres uh, as well, but it may be connected. In other words, it may be that um, the very fact that it's being talked a lot more about in, in the judicial context uh, leads to it being more thoroughly examined in in philosophy or in in sociology, for example. So in 2008, you had a bit of a closer look at the judicial interpretation of human rights, and you discussed the ways in which courts across multiple jurisdictions have engaged with this concept of human dignity, and particularly, as you just mentioned, as a tool of interpretation. You've already talked a little bit about why the concept's proven more judicially popular but has anything particularly surprised you about the way human dignity is being used in the courts? Uh, so um, I think one of the noticeable uh, characteristics of, of this interpretation is um, the variation in the, the functions that human dignity plays in argument and variations in terms of its substantive meaning. So in terms of... of the functions that it plays, um, it seems to range from, you know, human dignity being used as a conversation stopper. So, you know, you throw in human dignity into an argument and then everybody is supposed to go, oh, well, that settles it. Um, From there through to, you know, it's used as a purely rhetorical tool. Um, You throw it in because it, you know, you want to be thought to be... um, saying something profound without actually having to batten it down and explain it very much. Um, so in between that, those two extremes, you've got um, uh, the use of it for trying to determine new rights, right? So the scope of new rights. So obvious examples would be in the LGBT context. Uh, so same-sex marriage in the U.S., was very much grounded um, in the Supreme Court in, in understandings of, of dignity. Um, so it can provide a sort of basis for, uh, for new rights being, being developed. Um, so, as I say, one of the, the intriguing elements in it is it's, 
the variety of functions. And then we've got ver varieties of, of meaning, um, of understanding what it's, what it's about. Um, so, you know, in some, in some jurisdictions, it still seems to have a very um, honor-based understanding attached to it. Uh, so the idea um, in some contexts, for example, of um, human dignity uh, in the context of, uh, of uh, gender discrimination um, having a rather different uh, flavor to it if you see it as an honor uh, issue than if you see it as um, notions of um, fundamental um, rights that are determined by virtue of simply being human, for example. So I think those are the two things that strike me most, the variety of functions and the variety of meanings. I think that's really key to what we're trying to get into in this project um, where we explore human dignity is that the more you dig into it, the more meanings it has and the more functions it plays. And you yourself have cautioned against both assuming that there's a positive connection between human rights and human dignity and reducing human dignity to be viewed solely to the lens of human rights. Why, why did you feel such cautions were necessary? Uh... I mean, apart from the fact that I'm just a cautious, uh, a cautious person. Um, so I, I, maybe we can take that a, 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 as really involving two, two separate questions. I think one, one issue is um, why am I cautious about um, human dignity in the human rights context? And I think the, the caution there is that there's a, a potentially dark side to dignity. Um, meaning that in some contexts, depending on how you interpret it, it can be used to substantially uh, restrict uh, human rights. Um, so, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned the example of, uh, of women uh, earlier on. So you could quite, quite easily imagine that uh, an honor-based um, understanding of, of dignity applied in the gender context could well lead to um, considerable constraints on, on women's human rights. Um, and uh, there's been quite a lot of discussion about that um, in, the, um, in the Islamic context, um, but I don't think it's confined to that. I think that's merely an example of the kind of thing I'm concerned about, but it's not confined to Islam or indeed to any major, any of the major religions. So, so there's a dark side and we have to be cautious about our interpretation of human dignity to um, minimize that dark side. Um, there's um, a, another element in um, what some have seen as the dark side, and I'm not entirely sure what my own position is on this, but I'll, I'll mention it because it's um, very much current in, in the literature. And that is that um, if you have an understanding of human dignity as uh, something intrinsic in what it means to be human, a value that we attached to what it means to be human, uh, then it's, it's pretty clear that that gives rise to um, obligations on others to treat you in a certain way. But, but the question that arises, uh, and this arises partly from Kant, is whether there are obligations that we have to ourselves. In other words, um, whether all the obligations that arise from human dignity are not just other-regarding, but whether they're self-regarding duties as well. And in that context, um, you can also quite imagine that the, the notion that there are self-regarding duties so that you can't waive your dignity, it's not appropriate for you to waive your dignity in certain contexts, um, can give rise to situations in which um, uh, individuals um, have obligations imposed on them um, as regards uh, how they behave towards themselves. Um, and, you know, Kant had quite a lot to say about all of those kinds of uh, self-regarding duties. But if you interpret human dignity or human rights as based on autonomy, then that notion that you're having obligations imposed on you by others seems to be uh, cutting across notions of autonomy. So that's the sort of 
dark side. The other aspect of your question, um, I think, really involves the issue of how far um, human dignity is separate from human rights um, in the sense that, um, with, with, with due respect to, to animal rights, there's different ways of skinning a cat. Um, in other words, there's different ways of delivering human dignity, treated positively as a positive um, contribution to welfare. Uh, so um, I'm skeptical of the idea that the only way in which you can deliver human dignity is, is through human rights. Human rights are an important, have an important role to play, very, um, but they are, for me, instrumental. Um, uh, sometimes they're great, um, and sometimes they're not. Uh, sometimes maybe the most appropriate way of delivering human dignity seen positively is not through human rights. Um, but that's the basis for both uh, uh, a caution in um, uh, assuming that human dignity doesn't conflict with human rights that we want to protect, but also a, a sense that uh, I don't want human rights to be the only game in town if we're talking about the delivery of human dignity. It strikes me that to you know, the points that you were making there are really interwoven because when we think about women's rights, so often the same language that's used to protect is also used to constrain. So, you know, um, thinking about things like sex work, you could definitely see both anti-sex workers and pro-sex worker activists using the language of human dignity, depending on whether they fell on a kind of autonomy-based model or the kind of self uh, regarding model, is the answer here that we need to pin down a definition of human dignity, or is there value in the in the flexibility and malleability that you're describing? Um, I I think I'm sort of veering towards the latter. Uh, that is not quite the way you've expressed it, but but a variation on it. So I, I certainly see um, the importance of. Um, of continuing dialogue here. And sometimes we just use the words dialogue in order to avoid having to make a decision. And that's not really where I want to go. Um, what I see rather is that um, discussions of human dignity are about it, what, what it means to be human um, at, a, at a very fundamental level. Um, so the notion that we have, we suddenly get an answer to the question what it means to be human um, has always struck me as being pretty unlikely. Um, so each new generation reinvents aspects of what it means to be human. And sometimes that's good. Um, you know, so a greater understandings of, you know, sexual diversity, for example, uh, has meant that we have a richer understanding of what it means to be human. Um, but equally, you know, some generations have developed very narrow understandings of what it means to be human, right? So, you know, certain groups think only of, uh, of Jews in Nazi Germany were effectively outside the pale of what it meant to be human and therefore could be killed uh, more easily. But uh, further examples of genocide, right, have, unfortunately have not ended with the Second World War. So uh, what it means to be human, I think, is an ever-ending conversation that we need to have. Um, and to the extent that, for the moment at least, part of that conversation takes place through exploring ideas of human dignity, I think is useful. Um, but uh, the idea that we're going to come up with one definition that we can hammer down in the statute uh, is, I think, not going to happen, nor I think should it. In other words, we should be very cautious about trying to stop the conversation about what it means to be human. And one thing that strikes me there, and thinking back to what you were saying about um, co-option by the state and things like that, is that it's not that we're necessarily gaining new understandings of what it means to be human, because you know you used the example of different sexualities. Folks that had those sexualities have long known that's part of what it means to be human, so it's more about what we will concede is the dominant understanding of what it means to be human. And this, this is... I yeah, think that's right. Um, but but there are other, I think there are other situations, you're quite right, I, I agree with that, uh, in terms of, of sexualities, but I think there are other contexts in which um, uh, scientific developments, for example, um, have raised really quite profound questions about what it means to be human in terms of 
um, questions about cloning um, or questions about um, the use of robots uh, or um, digital imaging and so on. So there's there's questions there about uh, um, how uh, developments on the science level do challenge us, I think, in ways that previous generations simply were not challenged. Yeah, I wonder if we'll one day be having a podcast about the, the dignity of AI, for example, or as we expand what it means to have consciousness and how that relates to human dignity. Well, I, you know, I, I think actually where that's happening um, is much more in the context of um, novels at the moment. Um, so, you know, a, a significant number of, of writers um, and, you know, Ishiguro is is sort of the classic person here, is actually examining a lot of these questions um, throughout his books um, in ways that are absolutely fascinating, that really uh, stimulate this kind of conversation in ways that, that law has not yet done. And indeed, I think even that politics is not yet really fully, fully explored. So, you know, I think we should be conscious of the, the potential for these kinds of discussions in you know, what lawyers regard as not, not non-traditional uh, context, but of course, uh, they're not non-traditional. They, they're simply uh, um, uh, ways that, at least since the 19th century, we've, we've sought to examine issues of, uh, of human rights and human dignity, stretching back to, you know, novels about, um, about slavery or, or whatever. Uh, so, you know, there's a, I, I tell my students that you know, if they want to read a good novel and, and feel they're also doing uh, research in their in their course, they should go and read some Ishiguro. I think that's a great suggestion. And as you were talking there, I was thinking about how he's actually quite a good um, gauge of where the conversation's at, because we can track, you know, engaging with, with cloning and never let me go to now AI and Clara and the Sun. Um, he's actually, he's got his finger on the pulse on this one. Yeah, but even even before that, so uh, in the remains of the day, um, it's all about dignity. But of course, it's dignity in the sense of of status and and hierarchy and um, honor and pride. Um, and and I think what's what's interesting about the Ishiguro is the books is that um, the two books that you mentioned, which we both think of it as as, as involving questions of dignity. As far as I remember, dignity is never mentioned in, as a word in, uh, in Never Let Me Go, but it's all over the place in, um, in The Remains of the Day. So it sort of begins also to emphasize this idea that um, we should be looking at the concept um, and how it operates rather than necessarily the word, because the word, certainly in English, um, is, has considerable varieties of meanings that we may or may not want to be associated with human dignity in the human rights context. And that's a useful um, hook, Chris, to bring us back to the point and not dissolve into a book club. Um, but one thing I wanted <laughs> to ask you about was your article, where did dignity, where did human dignity come from in the context of the Irish constitution? So in this piece, you have a look at what insights we can glean from a closer look at literal translations. And in this context, it's the word dignity into the Irish language version of the constitution. So given what we were saying there, that this is, it's about the translation of concepts, not just words, why do you think greater engagement with processes of translation can help us um, think more critically about human dignity? Um, I think for two, two main reasons. One is that um, uh, being forced to translate something um, particularly in the modern era where translation is not really about the translation of the literal words, but uh, the translation of the meaning that's being conveyed, uh, forces the translator and indeed forces the um, state or the government that's introducing the term into this other language, uh, forces that, that, uh, that state to be much more thoughtful about what they're actually meaning. Um, so particularly where uh, countries and jurisdictions um, simply lift stuff from the international conventions, um, quite often, unfortunately, there's not a lot of thought given to the implications of what's being imported. When you, tra when you have to translate it, you're suddenly then confronted with a range of choices as to what it actually means. Um, uh, at least you may be 
confronted if you're thoughtful about it. And so it, it forces a conversation about varieties of different kinds of dignity. And I think that's useful. But the second reason I think is that um, uh, quite often um, that process um, unlocks in the uh, translating jurisdiction, if, it, if I can put it that way, um, a kind of indigenous richness to the concept that isn't necessarily captured um, in um, English or, or Latin-based um, languages. So, uh, you know, I just had a, um, a, a wonderful article sent to me by um, a former student um, who was looking at um, the translation of uh, dignity into Maori in, in New Zealand. Uh, and it's, it's now on SSRN. Um, and it's fascinating because um, uh, very similar to what was going on in South Africa, uh, what was going on in Chinese, um, what's going on in, in uh, Thailand, et cetera, et cetera, Israel, um, you begin to get um, a discussion about, well, is this merely an import or where there are actually indigenous understandings of the concept, even though it wasn't necessarily what we would have called dignity. So I think it, uh, to the extent then that we know about those debates in these other contexts, I think we can bring it back into our discussion. Um, you know, those, those of us who, who come from, from Latinate or indeed German uh, language roots um, and enrich our conversations as well by having this uh, comparative um, comparative examination carried out about indigenous understandings of it. Yeah, I think that's hopefully what we're starting to dig into in Cambodia. And as we'll hear from Borovin in our um, second segment of this podcast, she's already drawing connections between human dignity as a human rights concept and, you know, for example, Buddhist formulations of how to live a good life and what it means to, to treat each other well. Uh, so I really look forward to digging into all of that um, with you and the rest of the team. But I guess my final question, we've been talking a lot about the difficulties of defining this concept, how it moves across jurisdictions, how it changes. If you were pushed uh, by someone on the street to define what you thought the core um, aspects of human dignity are, what, what would you say to them? So... It sort of links back to, to uh, the conversation that we just had about translation. So um, I always find the, the, the German word for dignity um, or the German word that's used to translate dignity um, quite useful in this context. Uh, and, and the word is mentioned, Wurde, uh, which you know, literally means um, the worth of human persons or the worth, worth of humanity. Um, or the value of, of humanity. So it seems to me that um, not universally, uh, but increasingly, um, dignity is being used, human dignity is being used at least, as a way of trying to capture that notion um, of um, the value that humans have and should have, the worth that they should have. And I don't mean value in the in the monetary sense. Indeed, that would be exactly contrary to what I'd, I'd envisage. Um, there's a wonderful quotation from Oscar Wilde who talks about uh, a cynic knowing the, um, the price of everything and the value of nothing. I, I mean it in that sense uh, of, of um, a value that we regard as, um, uh, as intrinsically good. So that's what I think for me at least, dignity means. Um, but, you know, expressing that um, is very much then getting back to the other question that we raised about the continuing conversation. Because um, although I think it is about the worth of humans, um, it does raise again this question about uh, what we mean by humanity um, and what it means to be uh, to be worth something as a human, simply on the basis of our humanity. Um, so, do I have a, a you know a snap answer to what that is? Uh, no, but maybe that's the point. I think that is the point, uh, in the sense that it simply stimulates 
the kind of conversation that I wanted to have and that uh, that we're having today. Uh, that's that's wonderful, Chris. I just want to thank you for coming and spending some time with us and giving us this um, express introduction to what we have already explored as quite a complicated, uh, but as you just highlighted at the end there, um, worthwhile and important concept. So thank you for coming on LawPod. It's a pleasure, Rachel. I'm just look, looking forward to seeing what we're going to get out of the uh, Cambodian study together. So I look forward to that. Thank you. All right, so my second guest on today's episode is another colleague and collaborator, Ms. Boravin Tan. Boravin is a researcher and a lecturer at the Centre for the Study of Humanitarian Law in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Her interests centre around human rights and transitional justice, and she's published on a range of topics, including the right to freedom of expression, victims' perceptions of justice in Cambodia's transitional justice process, and memorialisation in post-conflict contexts. Boravin's been the lead researcher in the project over the past 10 months. Uh, despite several COVID-related setbacks, she has reviewed Cambodian laws, policies, and civil society documents, and she's carried out about 30 interviews with Cambodians from a range of disciplines and backgrounds. Earlier this month, she and I published our first research brief, which explored our initial findings, and I'll share that research brief in the episode's show notes. So today, Boravin is joining me to discuss her own reflections on what we've learned so far about human dignity in Cambodia. So Boravin, welcome to LawPod. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, Before we get into discussing our research project and our findings, I think it would be interesting to hear about your perception of human dignity. So back in 2020, when we were discussing collaborating on this research project, What did you think human dignity meant? Thank you so much, Rachel, for inviting me, first of all, to this podcast. And it is an honor for me to share my reflections on this topic as well as my experience in this research project. Regarding your questions on what I think as human dignity, it's a very interesting question, actually, because first of all, this concept is familiar, yet also a very new concept to me as well. First, it is the reason is that I got exposed to this concept in my internship at the EEOC the Extraordinary Chamber in the Court of Cambodia, where I provide my assistant in drafting the closing statement for the new team in K002-1. But I got dived into this concept a little bit more when I study my LLM in International Human Rights Law in Sweden at Lund University, where I can understand this concept a little bit more in the context of human rights as the universal concepts of human rights and human dignity. So to me, back then, the concept of human dignity refers to the core essence of human being, something that is considered as essential for a human being to be called as human being and something that cannot be deprived from any particular human being. It almost refers to a negative notion of the absence of tortures, absence of violations of human rights and other fundamental freedom, etc. So this is how I view human dignities back in 2020 before joining this research project. I think it's interesting what you were saying there, Boravin, about how your experiences of human dignity came from your interactions with different um, you know, international bodies and different cultures. So you were talking about working with you know, Nunchia's defense team, which is both Cambodian and international, and then coming to Lund to, to study international human rights law Do you think, does human dignity have a grounding in Cambodia itself, or is this an imposed kind of concept? Indeed, it is something that we have since the ancient time, I would say, 
because although we don't utilize the term as human dignity, but the core idea or the value of human dignity, I think, has been embedded in Cambodian society since the ancient time, where we value human beings, and more or less, it also related with the Buddhist concept, where Buddhism is a state religion in our country. Under the Buddhist principle, for example, the five moral precepts that teach us not to kill people, not to steal other property, not to drink alcohol, not to steal others' people partner, and also not to lie. I think those are the foundational concepts of what is also related or considered as human dignities as the human right concept or as the universal concept. So in that context, it would not be fair, at least to me, to say that it is a foreign imposters, but it's, it's some things that embedded in Cambodian society as well. I think it's really interesting some of the examples you draw there. And I think what emerged from our research, at least for me, was that human dignity can mean lots of different things in lots of different contexts. I wonder if you could tell us about some of the ways that human dignity is being used in Cambodia's laws and policies and how that relates to um, the human rights frameworks that you were mentioning earlier. In fact, if we were to find human dignity in Cambodian law and policy, it's not an easy task, to be honest, because the actual word or actual term itself is not very prominent, but rather how the concept has been used or has been translated in one way or another in Cambodian law and policy. To give some examples, human dignity is often appear in the context of labor rights, working conditions, poverty reductions, and development program or pro policy, for example. And in those contexts, human dignity plays two complementing as well as contradictory role as well. On the one hand, human dignity is associated with rights protections. And in this case, we refer to the rights of dignities of citizens, the dignities of specific group of people, for example, women, workers, migrant workers, person with disability, children, etc. On the other hand, human dignity also serves as right restrictions, where it's often linked with protections of the rights of other peoples, social orders, national custom and traditions. For example, our criminal code has prohibited any act of gesture, speeches, writing, painting, or any item that would affect the dignity of the king. Similarly, our constitutions also prohibit any freedom of expressions which impinge on the dignity of other people and also those that are affecting good morals of society, public order, and national securities. So in this context, it seems to be restricting certain rights of the people in light of protecting dignities. In this regard, it also seems that the human dignity is also used to limit certain standards of behavior as well for a particular group of people, for example, lawyers, judges, parliamentarians, media, as well as civil servants, to give some examples. I mean, that's just a fascinating range of how diverse the meanings actually are and in turn how diverse the uses of the concept are. Uh, and it's so interesting to hear about it both as a kind of emancipatory or um, rights protection, but then equally a restriction on rights and, and behaviours is fascinating. For you, as you've been talking to different people and learning about the ways that individuals perceive the concept, what has been most interesting and what are, what are the things that have surprised you when you talk to people about this concept? To be honest, each interviewee are different 
their view are diverse, in fact, and also not only the way that they express their perceptions of the concept, but also the way that they understand it, either as a universal human rights concept or in terms of Cambodian context in particular. But the common ground that I can share is that the first impression is that it is broad. Human dignity is a very broad concept. And also another common ground is that most of them tend to associate human dignity with human rights, more or less. So in that regard, some even perceive human rights the same as human dignity. So it is a very interesting approach to hear from those um, interviewees on how they view it. Another thing that I think is also very interesting in this regard is the understanding that human dignity and dignity is, are the same. Because in this context, when we ask about the difference between human dignity and dignity, most of them I can share that they think there's no difference. There is no difference between the two. Basically, there's a conflation between human dignity and dignities, especially in the context of Cambodia, where they stated that whenever we refer to dignity, it's always have to relate with humans. Because, for example, animal does not have dignities, or property does not have dignity. That is also a common understanding that's exhibited by in our interviewees. Nonetheless, because we interview people from diverse backgrounds, for example, we have those from religions, those who are in education, those from the NGO, and many others more. So their particular perceptions on the concept is also noted based on their professional experience as well as from their personal experience. Some people has um, give a lot of personal example, for example, uh, about how they experience human dignity violations, sort of, or how their professional experience um, illustrates about the case of human dignity violation or the respect of human dignities, for example. And those are the interesting aspects that I have learned from our interviewees. I think that highlights a really interesting tension because you have, on the one hand, Cambodian law and policy, which is using human dignity and other framings of dignity in the ways that you described earlier, you know, sometimes uh, rights enhancing, but not always. But then when you go and speak to people, there's actually a much stronger connection being drawn between human dignity and human rights, and it's more protective, um, you know, rights enhancing kind of perspective. So that's, that's one tension. And then you just have folks using the phrase in the way that makes sense for them and their particular um, status, their particular profession, their particular experience. So it seems like human dignity is quite hard to hold on to, actually. You know, it's, it's quite slippery as a concept, and that seems to be what's, what's coming out of, of what we've learned. I have a question for you, thinking about how people's positions and people's own status um, shapes their understanding of human dignity. Do you think that it means something different um, depending on whether you're a man or a woman, you know, those kinds of things? Did you find there was a, a gendered dimension to the way people talk about the term? I think the answer is yes and no as well. Because it's really, I would say, not really depend on their gender, but it really depends on their background, I would say. Because in this case, um, from talking to various interviewees, including men and women, it seems that their professional experience or their upbringings or their current family situations, for example, is the most dominant factors that affect their thinking or perceptions on human dignities of men or, or women. 
So in this regards, if they were grown up in the environment where women is not valued much compared to men, then their expression now is also in negative way, sort of. For example, that women is not valued as men, they don't have the same rights, they were discriminated, or they were restricted in one way or another based on the tradition, social custom, etc. But what is also interesting is that they understand the clear difference between what is considered as principle, for example, men is equal to women, and what is really in practice that our society is still influenced by our cultures, our traditions and customs that cannot change in a matter of days, that it needs much more effort in order to make those principles, the universally accepted principle of equality, a reality in our society. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it highlights, you know, one of the themes of our research, which is that human dignity is going to shapeshift depending on its social context, its cultural context, and its legal and political context. So all of these things matter for, for how it's understood and how it's used. I wonder what you think of this. So given that it means so many different things and it's used in so many different ways, is, is human dignity actually useful? Do you find it useful as a concept? Um, or does the fact that it means so many different things render it kind of meaningless in the end? It is a very interesting question. I will say that my answer has changed before and after I joined this project because before joining, like everyone advocate for human rights. Everything is about human rights, that we show realize human rights in this way, in that way, etc. But after joining the project, human dignity is actually, to me, at least to me, it's, if not equal, it's much more than human rights. Because to me, human rights is what is given by the states. I would say, even though we are entitled to human rights once we are born, according to the principles, but we need the state to give us the rights in order to fully realize the rights, to say the least. But if we talk about human dignity, it is much more innate, I would say, that it's closer to our heart, closer to our core value as a human being. And... If I could share one interview, we even suggest that we should utilize the term human dignity instead of human rights if we want to talk about those um, innate or inherent value, inherent essence of human being. So therefore, um, we can reduce controversy or debate a little bit because in the context of Cambodia, human rights is considered as a sensitive topic, even like politically sensitive topic. So therefore, people might not be feel comfortable in openly discuss about human rights. But human dignity is much more neutral, I would say, or at least uh, less sensitive when talking about those core value, core essence of a human being that need to have as human being. Thank you so much, Barbara. I think that's, that's a really hopeful uh, message to end on. And I think, you know, when we started this project, it, it was one of the things that we had in mind was to explore what human dignity offers in contexts where it has become more difficult to talk about human rights or to advocate for human rights. So it's really encouraging to hear that you feel like there might be potential there. And I really look forward to exploring that more with you over the coming months. My final question to you was going to be um, how the research had changed the way you thought about human dignity, but you have answered that really eloquently there. So instead, I'll just ask if there's anything more that you really wanted to say about human dignity at this point. Actually, there are a lot. <laughs> Because the more, the more we dive into this concept, the more reaffirm it is that it is broad. 
once again, I go back to my initial thought that it is familiar but also new at the same time. So the more that we dive into this concept, the more we can see that there are so many aspects of human dignity that we have to dive into. And if we just talk simply about human dignity, it can already involve debates, discussions, because what one thing about human dignity might be different from what others think. And what is the current problem right now is there is no definitions of human dignities, not to mention core elements or core criteria to be considered as human dignity. What is more striking is in the context of Cambodia where there is cultural, political, social, economic context that need to be taken into consideration as well, it makes this task even harder for us as researchers as well as those who are decision makers, those educators, if we want to talk about and explore this topic. Before we can um, decide on anything regarding this topic, at least we should have a common ground. But I don't know what is the common ground on human dignity right now because um, some people even think that human dignity, like you mentioned in your question, whether it is a foreign imposter or not, Western imposter or not, uh, in that regard alone, we already have a long or heated discussions on whether we should adopt such a concept in the context of Cambodia, not to mention like working in in this regards for the betterment of everyone's human dignity, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a really fascinating concept to play around with and follow around and track and trace in the way that we've been doing. But I agree with you that the more we learn, the more questions it throws up for us about what this concept even means and, and how it can be used to improve the lives of, of people. But I look forward to exploring these things more with you in the future, Boravin. And uh, I will just thank you for coming along and talking to LawPod today. Thank you very much. The same for me. Thank you for having me and letting me explore this important concept with you and share with Cambodian as well as the world in this regard as well. Mm -hmm.